0: Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Well, good afternoon again. Um, if uh, we haven't met, uh, my name is Taylor Leachman. on the Planting pastor here at Advent, and it's good to see so many uh, uh, young faces again. Uh, as many of y'all were gone during uh, the Christmas break, and um, it's just not the same. It's great to have y'all back. Um, we are going to begin a three-week short sermon series uh, that we're going to call "New Year's Rhythms," um, as this is the time when we're all making resolutions. We're all trying to be new people. Um, you know, trying. Uh, Whole thirty and all sorts of other fun things. Um, We want to talk more about what does it look like to live into the new rhythms um, that the that the Bible would have us to. And so tonight, in particular, we're going to talk more about rest and resting. Um, You may have gathered that through some of the earlier readings of Scripture that we're talking about Sabbath rest. Um, And and so I want for us to begin thinking about all sense of new new rhythms here okay what does it look like to cease from our work or more importantly or as importantly if not more so what does it look like to rest in the Lord and so that's what I want for us to be talking about this evening Um, and as we do so we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 12 through 15 Uh, this is to orient you guys there are two different sections in, in the Old Testament that include uh, the Ten Commandments. Well, the one that we often read the most is in Exodus, uh, but this is the Ten Commandments as recorded in Deuteronomy. And so this is, uh, uh, the, this is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read for us. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, "'but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. "'On it you shall not do any work, "'you or your son or your daughter "'or your male servant or your female servant "'or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock "'or the sojourner who is within your gates, "'that your male servant and your female servant "'may rest as well as you. "'You shall remember that you were a slave "'in the land of Egypt.' And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Would don't you all pray with me? Um, Father, we pray as we consider what it means to rest. Lord, that even this evening we would rest in your arms as we hear your word. Um, may we have ears to hear, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, how many of you all know of the actor Tony Hale? Uh, Tony Hale is a famous, uh, relatively famous actor who starred in a, a couple of really great sitcoms like Arrested Development or Veep. Um, uh, but he also wrote a children's book called Archibald's Next Big Thing. Um, And this is the story of a bird who misses out on all of the joys that are going on around him because he is obsessed with whatever that next big thing in life is going to be. Well, Tony wrote that story because it's actually part of his own life story that he struggled early on as an actor um uh, he you know doing the actor thing trying out for a whole lot of different shows being told no um but as he was you know booking a little bit of commercials here and there he believed and he fully was like heart's content was uh was was uh, geared toward the idea that he was going to make it big on a sitcom that was his main dream um and then he got it Right, with Arrested Development, as Buster Bluth, one of the all-time great characters of any TV show. Um, and, and he thought that that would make him happy. He thought that that would make him content, but it actually did the exact opposite. It made him more anxious than ever because he recognized, Wait, if that was the next big thing that I wanted, and it didn't do everything I wanted it to do, what is my life actually about? He believed the next big thing, making it onto a successful sitcom, was going to satisfy, but it didn't. It left him emptier than before, hungrier and even more restless. And so in the podcast that I heard him telling this story, it's called The Happiness Lab. I heard him compare the search of the next big thing to eating sugar. Right, where you think it's going to be great. Right? And actually, sugar is great while it's on your tongue. But the second you swallow it, all you want is more sugar. Right? And it usually leaves me leave feeling even more hungry and, and not knowing when to stop until my stomach hurts. Right? And that's what this does to us. My point is this, that we are a people who are restless And in our our resolution making, in our relationships, in our work, we think that we can eat enough sugar to ultimately satisfy us. But we're left more restless than we were before. And so when we talk about resting in the Lord, I want for us to talk about it uh, in a different way from the way we usually do. We usually think about it in like this to-do checklist, right? Where we think, um, I'm going to cease from working, check i'm going to take a nap i'm going to shut off uh my phone or put my notifications off right or maybe maybe a little bit better than that we think i'm going i'm going to enter this state of rest it's it's sort of the state of being of rest i'm going to try that um yes i want for us to do those sorts of things but for tonight i want for us to think about rest as a bigger uh a bigger category than those that rest is not just ceasing from our work, it's also resting in the Lord. We're meant to put boundaries on ourselves. Yes, we're meant to cease from our work, but we can do that and still not rest in the way that He wants us to. Because He is the one who brings rest, He is the one that truly satisfies. And so I want to look more closely at this Deuteronomy passage in three ways. First, that we, are, like the Israelites, we are slaves we are slaves to sin but secondly that we are provided rest by our God and thirdly that as we are provided that rest we go and provide it for others and so first let's look at what it means that we are too slaves to sin Uh, a philosophy professor at Calvin University named James Jamie Smith or James K.A. Smith wrote a book called you are what you love Um, it's pretty deep book. Uh, If you've read it, um, uh, I would commend it to any of you to read. It's really great. But he talks about the, the, the idea that we are a worshiping people. But more than that, there's this symbiotic relationship between our loves and our actions. His point is this, our loves inform our actions, but also our actions inform our loves. And so at the very beginning of the book, he tells the tale, this fictitious tale that at, at all, and meant to uh, to kind of uh, blow up some of our own categories uh, in order to say that we are a worshiping people. He tells this fictitious tale of a religious pilgrim going on a religious pilgrimage to the local mall. I, um, most of us, I, I, don't, do, I don't think malls exist anymore. So um, we'll pretend it's the Galleria, right? And so we encounter this pilgrim about to go into this temple of worship, the mall. And I'm going to read for us a little bit of what he says here. He says, the layout of this temple has architectural echoes, or echoes that harken back to medieval cathedrals. They're mammoth religious spaces that are designed to absorb all kinds of religious activities happening at one time. And so one might say that this religious building has has a winding labyrinth for contemplation, alongside of which are innumerable chapels devoted to various saints as we wander the labyrinth in contemplation, preparing to enter one of the chapels. We'll be struck by the rich iconography that lines the walls and interior spaces. Unlike the flattened depictions of saints one might find in stained glass windows, here one finds an array of three-dimensional icons adorned in garb that, as with all iconography, it inspires our desires to be imitators of these saints. I think Abercrombie and Fitch, right? We walk past it. We want to be just like them. Um... This temple, like countless others now emerging around the world, offers a rich and embodied visual mode of evangelism that attracts us. This is a gospel whose power is beauty, which speaks to our deepest desires. It compels us to come, not through dire moralism, but rather with a winsome invitation to share in the envisioned good life. Because this is a religion of transaction, of exchange and communion. When invited to worship here, we are not only invited to give, we are invited to take. We don't leave this transformative experience with just good feeling or pious generalities, but rather with something concrete and tangible, with newly minted relics, as it were, which are themselves the means of the good life embodied in the icons that invited us into this participatory moment in the first place. And so we make our sacrifice, we leave our donation, but in return, something with the solidity that is wrapped in the colors and symbols of the saints and seasons. Now, if y'all were able to follow all of that, which is pretty impressive if you were, the point is this, that no matter who we are, no matter where we go, we are worshiping people. Right? There's really no escaping it. Even when we enter the mall, there is something about the mall experience that is forming who we are. There's something about who we are that is worshiping the mall experience. Whether you are religious or you are irreligious, we are worshipers. And whether we are working or resting, we are always worshiping. We're worshiping things, right? And we can get caught up in the power of purchasing We can worship abilities. We can get caught up in in trying to become better and better. We can worship productivity. We can be enslaved to, to doing or to making. We can worship approval or image or leisure. But the point is we are always worshiping. But you see, we were created to work and worship in unity. We were created to work on behalf of the Creator in relationship to our Creator, right? We were commanded in, in Genesis chapter uh, one to have dominion, to rule over God's created world. This is image bearers. Which just another way to say that we were told to be managers on behalf of God's creation, right? Uh, on behalf of the boss um, and the world's designer. We were told to do this on behalf of God. But in the end, we don't want to be the manager. Or assistant to the regional manager, right? We want to be the boss. We want to do it our way. We want for our work to reflect our own glory, not his. We want the celebration and the praise. We don't want to share any of it. And the Bible teaches that as we seek out our own work or purpose, that it takes over us. That it is crouching at our door and its desire is for us to devour us. Here's the problem in our sin, in our desire to be the boss, we become slaves, slaves to our work, slaves to the feeling of importance that we get through our work or slave to the desires to no longer be in relationship with the boss uh, who gave us that very work. Paul, in his letter to the Romans says it this way. He says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, That you are therefore slaves to the one that you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We become slaves to our desires, no matter what. And within that, we can become slaves to our work. That work can be our paid jobs. That work can be our homemaking and keeping. It can be our studies. It can be self-improvement things like fitness. Um, We are slaves to our work, and it is because of that that we can so easily identify with those that God is talking to here in Deuteronomy. See, the Israelites had been an enslaved people in Egypt, and now they've been freed, and God is telling them how to live as people who have been freed, as a people who've been redeemed. He's calling them to be different than they were before and to be different than the people around them, to observe observe a Sabbath. And what's so interesting about the fourth commandment uh, listed here is that it is the only one that does not begin with the same imperative, with the imperative that you shall. It begins with the command to observe. Or another translation would be to remember or to be careful it begins with those because, in essence, it, it, taking a day of rest or, or taking a day of ceasing, as the word Sabbath actually means, is so counterintuitive to who we are that we need special instructions to observe it, to remember it, to set it apart. We easily slip back into the bondage of productivity based value or of busyness for busyness' sake. Or into our attempts to seek our own praise and glory because we are enslaved to it. Whether we are overworkers or whether we are slothful, we are enslaved to the concept of work. We are enslaved to our own image as boss. We worship it by bowing down to it and committing to work over and over and over again, or we are in bondage to our own concerns. That we maybe ought to live this the perfect work-life balance. Um, some of you, maybe some of you know that you're workaholics. All right? Maybe you've justified it to yourself in some way. Like, I do it so that I can help more people. Or so I can give more money away. Or so that my family can be comfortable. Or maybe you know that you're a workaholic but you're actively trying to fight against it a little bit and asking for prayer and accountability but i wonder how many of us have ever thought that we're doing just fine but are actually equally enslaved to this idea of the work life balance right um we can be as equally slave to that enslaved to that maybe we've gone through seasons of overwork in the past and in our efforts to become or to overcome that sin, we've become so fixated on the idea of working hard, playing hard, uh, resting hard, that all of our waking moments and all of our choices are ultimately enslaved to how we spend every minute of every day trying to maintain that perfect balance. Maybe we swing all the way into, into carving out So much time uh, of rest that that we're slipping into sloth um, and not actually working to begin with. Maybe we're just plain lazy. My point is this. All of it is enslaving if we are doing it according to our own rules. All of it is enslaving if we're doing it apart from the Lord. Unless it is driving us to a greater love of God, it is enslaving and it will not offer us rest. But, though we are enslaved, God does offer us rest. Let's look at our second point, the rest from God. The reasoning for this commandment is grounded in God's work of buying back His people, of redemption. God's command to rest is grounded in His redemption of His people. Because they had been slaves and because uh, they had been mistreated, abused, and overworked, God insists that now... They are to live like freed people. It's in fact uh, that they are no longer slaves of Egypt, but they have been bought by God, freed by God, that they are now to be in relationship with him. So Sabbath is not meant uh, just just for ceasing our work, although it is that Sabbath is about practicing and reminding ourselves that we are fully satisfied in God alone, where we are no longer restless We are resting in Him because we are all restless until we rest in Him, as Augustine says. We restlessly try to fulfill ourselves in our work, in our leisure, or or even in our, our personas, in who we are. We are restlessly trying to project success, even if not all of us are trying to achieve success. We are restlessly going after the things of this world, and we cannot sit still. Because if we sit still, then who's taking care of all the email that's building up, right? If we sit still, then who's watching out to make sure that my bank account isn't shrieking? If we sit still, then who's protecting me from enemies outside? How will I ever know that I am prepared enough for the future if I sit still? And these desires, they're not wrong. They point to a right desire. The problem is that they are sugar, right? If we are the ones trying to fulfill them on their own, they will leave us hungry because we can't fulfill them. We're always left wanting more. C.S. Lewis picks up on this, uh, this theme of restlessness in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. His point is this. It's that the restlessness that we feel is right and it's good, but it's meant to drive us to rest in the Lord. We were made for trusting him, for delighting in him, for placing our faith in him, because to obey the command to observe the Sabbath day is incredibly challenging. It requires faith, right? While the crops may be ready for harvest, you might be obligated to observe the Sabbath day. That's what... Uh, that, that's a real-life application of what it would have looked like to be an Israelite at that time. So you would need to actively have faith that God will provide you enough food. And while your neighbors or your enemies are out there training for war, or they're out there sharpening, uh, sharpening their, their, their swords seven days a week, you have to take a day off and place your tr- faith and trust that the Lord is going to take care of you. Right? That requires, again, a lot of faith. So King David, right, the, war, uh, the war-mongering king, writes this in, in Psalm 131, verse 2. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. He's saying like a baby that no longer needs food from its mother, but one who's just cuddling. Cuddling his mother is exactly what it feels like to be in relationship with the Lord. To finally rest in the provision of the Lord is what it looks like to not need anything from anyone other than just to be. How is David able to say that? Well, warrior King David hangs up his bow and he sheathes his sword or we could say that he closes his laptop, he unplugs his phone, he sends his commanders home and he trusts in the Lord. He's able to say it because he trusts and believes that God has taken care of his every need and that God will continue to take care of his every need. That with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he watches over his people. That life may not always be rainbows and unicorns at times but even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death our lord is with us he comforts us he provides for us he saves us and so as we think about what it means to rest we can't just think about it legalistically i I, if i just cease from my work for a day maybe a few hours then i'm experiencing the rest that god wants for me Um, yes he wants us to cease from our labors so that we're forced to trust him so that we can get a bit of physical rest and so that we can pay attention to him and the things that he's done for us. But also he wants for our hearts to find rest in him. This is really hard. It's really hard for me to do. Um, if y'all have even sat with me for a season of time, you'd probably know that my knee immediately starts to, to, to go up and down like that. I am a restless person at times. What does it look like to rest in our Lord? Well, I want to give us at least a couple of practical thoughts. Um, first, this year, I want for you to try and commit some time, once a week, to cease from your normal work. Ideally, that is on a Sunday, um, but it does not have to be. Especially, I know many of you are... Trained medical professionals. And so, it, for just the sake of loving our neighbor, you need to be on at certain times. But my point still stands. Try and find time, physical time, to cease from your labors. But don't just cease from your labors. I want for you to find 15 minutes during that time to think about the things that God has been doing for you. Find 15 minutes to find and reflect on what, where have you seen God at work. Find three things and write them down. Find three areas where you have seen God at work. And during that time, I want for you uh, to write them down and, and to think how has he shown up even when maybe I wasn't expecting him to, when life was really hard this week. Or maybe it was a, a, a really positive experience and write that down as well. But practice resting in him like a weaned child with its mother. Like somebody that you truly trust and you just want to share the yucky as well as the great stuff that's happened. Write it down. But don't stop there. Because we are not merely intended to rest ourselves. We are also intended to provide rest for others. And that's our third point. And I'll be a little faster through it. How do we provide rest for others? Well, the fourth commandment listed here is not merely about your own rest with the Lord. It assumes that as those who have been redeemed by God that we are intended to bring rest to those under our care. It tells... Us that during Sabbath rest, our kids shouldn't work, our animals shouldn't be made to work, and those in our employment shouldn't be made to work. Anyone that is under our exact authority that we have uh, legitimate authority over, um, we should be providing rest for. Uh, real quick, uh, I don't know, there was a viral video of that happening to John Piper uh, this week. And so uh, that's actually been kind of a nightmare of mine that Siri would start to, uh, to speak. Here's my point. We are to provide rest toward those that we can provide rest for. What might it look like for us to provide rest for those underneath us? What might it look like for us to take that type of intentional planning? Because it doesn't just happen. Right? Uh, it, it looks like providing for them financially, even if they can't take a day off. Right? The household of Israel didn't withhold the food from their people on the day off that they were given. Our God sovereignly placed them, all of these people, under your care so that they were meant to be shown rest. For some of us, we may need to limit the sports that we involve our kids in on Sundays. Um, I'm preaching to myself here. Picking leagues or sports programs that try and do things on a Saturday rather than on a Sunday. Or uh, leaving a day of rest for you and your family. We may want to take steps to invite others into our rest. To invite others to have dinner with us rather rather than study um, for us students. To invite others to go for a walk with us and to talk about the longings and the fears that they have going on in their life. And to hear where God has been at work in their lives. See, this commandment begins with the vertical relationship of peace we have with our Lord, but it's intended to inform our horizontal relationship with, that we have with one another. The commandment means that we are actually to spend time with one another. And it may not feel like it at times, but it's actually rejuvenating to our very soul. To care for one another is good for me. To care For you to care for one another is good for you. To extend the rest to others is actually to give them a chance to encounter God in a real way. Blaise Pascal says that in busyness, we have a narcotic to keep us from brooding and to take our minds off of things. That is our unhappy lot. That is why the pleasures of solitude are considered incomprehensible. It's not only loving to them to give them rest, but it's also loving to them to take away that narcotic. When we take away the narcotic of busyness, the ceaseless working that we can fall into, they will will not feel, they will feel the discomfort that we all feel. And ideally, through the work of the Lord and through our love and care of them, it would drive them to the place where they would find true rest because we want them to put away the narcotic and to find the thing that provides true rest, right? It's evangelistic to give them rest. It drives them to the good news of Jesus. One of my favorite TV shows uh, to watch is the show Alone. How many of y'all have seen the show Alone? Any? A few? Um, It's what Survivor always should have been. Uh, These people are legit. Uh, They are 10 survival experts that are given Ten survival items and some clothes, and their GPS tap-out device, and they're, they film themselves and survive in the wilderness by themselves for as long as they possibly can. All right? They're out there building their own fires. They're out there cooking. They're out there killing. Uh, well, you know, some of them are, are like making deadfalls just to like eat a mouse for one day, in um, hopes that that's like the one thing that they got to eat that one week. What's so fascinating about the show is that. Especially in the early seasons, when they were still getting normal people. Since then, they've gotten a a few folks that that are are a little bit more uh, just amazing to be out in the wilderness with. But the vast majority of people do not tap out because of starvation. They do not tap out because they're about to uh, experience any sense of danger. They tap out because they can't handle being by themselves with no book, with no distractions, being there stuck with their own thoughts. That's why they tap out. The majority of us are the exact same way. We cannot handle the, uh, the, the distractions that come from within. We would rather distract ourselves with any sort of narcotic because we are restless. And we do not know where to look. But we need to cease. We need to be forced to put down our narcotic of busyness, our narcotic of leisure, and allow for this command from our God to give you the space to feel that discomfort and to drive you to Him, to drive you to the place of true, uh, to, to drive you to the place of, of both ceasing from work but also spiritual rest in Him. This command, like all of the Ten Commandments, cuts to the very core of our sin. In our desire to be the boss, as we said earlier, we would rather trust in ourselves and trust in our own work than to trust in God on our behalf. And that is true, as true for our physical needs as it is for our spiritual. We can even treat this command as another way to work for our own spiritual health. We can try and earn God's very grace by doing all of the things right ourselves, thinking, well, maybe if I just exert enough effort... And I won't need God anymore. Well, I can tell you right now, if you leave here and you think, well, great, I love what my pastor has told me. Um, I just need to do 15 minutes of prayer. I need to cease from my work and my life is going to be great. Then, then we miss the point and I didn't do my job. Here's what I want for us to, to leave with. Even though I've used words like intentional and plan. Yes, seek the physical rest, but do so before and in relationship with God, the point isn't to try harder and to do more, the point is to draw near to the Lord, who cares for you, who loves you, who has drawn near to you. He is the one who wants to pick us up and hold us in our very arms and in his very arms. The good news is that God will supply your every need. The good news is that though we are slaves to our own sin and we could do nothing for ourselves, Christ died for us, that he might bring us into his eternal rest. And so whether we rest every every Sunday, whether we rest once a week, know that in Christ, eternal rest is possible and is guaranteed because he invites us regularly to taste and see that he is good. Would you all pray with me? Our Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you for the rest that you have provided for us in Jesus. Lord, it's hard. It's hard to cease from what it is that we're doing. Um, We want to be the boss. We want um, to build a, a good reputation for us or a good career, and we don't know exactly what it will look like if we stop a little bit. Father, give us the faith to trust in you, that you will place us where you would have us, when we obey rightly. But above all, Father, I pray that this would drive us to you. That as you continually pursue us, Father, may we we stop. And may we realize just how near you are. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.